So the big question is this, how do most agents who don't have access to the secrets that most successful agents hoard to themselves grow and prosper in today's competitive real estate environment? That's the question. And this podcast will give you the answers. I'm Pat Hyben and welcome to Real Estate Rockstars. And now for the review of the day. Got a five-star review from Sean Har. Sean says, very helpful as a new agent. This podcast has provided me with a lot of great information and helped me stay motivated. Six deals closed, another six under contract in my first three months. Thank you for all the resources that you provide. You are gold for anyone with a strong drive and willingness to hustle. Thank you, Sean, and congratulations on your six sales, brother. That's uh, going to have to have you on a show sometime. Keep the comments coming, guys. I love them. And remember, I eat feedback for breakfast, so give me a one-star review if you want or a five-star review if you want. I don't care. And the more reviews we get, the better guests we get. So please, subscribe first and then leave us a review or wherever you're listening. All right, Rockstar Nation, I got a good guest today. Mr. Silvio Petriello is on the line from New York City. And we're going to talk about uh, something we don't talk a lot about here on the show. But I think even if you don't get into it or are not into it, it's something that you need to understand and grasp. And that is commercial real estate and kind of how it differs from residential and, and what you need to know and what you might want to know if you want to get into it or or compare it to what you're doing there. So anyways, without further ado, Sylvia, welcome to Real Estate Rockstars. Thank you, Pat. I'm a big fan of your podcast and I'm excited to be a guest on the show. Hey, uh, Sylvia, why don't you kind of tell everybody a little bit about yourself so they get to know you better? Sure. I've been with uh, CBRE for 20 years. I'm a vice chairman. I uh, specialize in helping hedge funds and private equity firms in their office space needs in a summary. So when a hedge fund or a private equity firm is looking to relocate, renew their lease, expand or contract, uh, we help them execute that. Simple enough. And, and how long have you been doing this? Uh, 20 years. This is my 20th year at CBRE. Wow. And so are you, do most of these companies, they lease, right? They don't buy buildings or do they? It's a good question. I, I think historically they uh, have leased, they all have an appetite to buy, but given the nature of their size relative to the size of the assets in New York City, it becomes very challenging and difficult. And then to operate the building is, is also another challenge. But recently, I would say in the last year, we've had more clients looking to acquire buildings for their own occupancy and investments and are willing to take the risk on the remaining vacancy that they don't occupy in that building. Hmm. Do you think that's because more people are moving money into hedge funds and private equity funds? And so they're busier, they have more money? Or is it just, what, what, what do you think? Why do you think that is? I mean, 20 years is a long time to be doing it. And then when they suddenly start saying, hey, I want to buy instead of rent. 
Yes, I think I think the capital into the capital that the private equity firms and the hedge funds are managing are at all time highs, and the cost of of rent in New York City is at an all time high. Um, so I think that's a combination of the arbitrage between rent and ownership and the ability to allocate some of the funds into the real estate pool via the occupancy of of um, of an owned asset by the by the hedge fund or the private equity firm. Hmm. Very good. Okay. So like last 12 months, what sort of business have you done? Like, I, I guess you have to, it's a little different from residential. Like how many leases have you done? What have the total numbers been? Uh, so last year, uh, 12 months, last year was our, our best year as a team. We, we closed 72 deals, which is very, very large amount of volume for commercial real estate. Uh, unless you have a, a team of 25, 30 people, we have about eight people now. And the, the average, I would say, is probably in the 20 to 30 range. Uh, so we, had, we did 72 deals. We're, we're more of a high volume um, What's the 20 business. to 30 range? What's that mean? 20 to 30 deals. Oh, so just to give you a perspective, okay. that's right. Just to give you a perspective, if you're in the residential side, yep. um, not, saying, not saying it doesn't take long, but within a you know, three to six or six to 12 month period, you can sell houses or apartments. The, the commercial process could take anywhere from, you know, three to six years. So your pipeline is very deep and long. Um, and the longevity of that pipeline is very different than residential. The transaction also can take where a house, you know, a residential transaction can take three to three months to six months. The commercial transaction on a lease, that process could take three to, you know, I would say perhaps six to 12 months just to execute the deal once they've even secured the space. Yeah. And then you get paid, a, a, your commission is based on the total amount of the lease, right? So if, you, if they sign a 10-year lease, then they add that all up, that 10 years, and, and you're based on that? Right. It's a little, it's a little different. In, um, so, so a house, you know, a residential broker would make anywhere, I guess, from 4 to 6%. Is that right? 4 to 6% on a sale. Um, and they split it up between the buyer and the seller's agent. In, in the commercial side, it's a, descending, it's a descending scale. So it's a higher percentage that goes down over time. So you get paid a percentage of every year. So if it's a five-year deal, you get a certain amount. If it's a seven-year deal or 10-year deal, the longer the term, the higher the price and the larger the square footage, obviously the larger the, uh, the fees. So you and might get like five, five, four, three, two, one or something like that. that five, that's, five. that's exactly right. Yeah. Four percent the second year, three percent, two percent, and then the last year you get one percent, and that's just you're getting paid uh, to kind of keep in touch, make sure they're happy, that sort of thing. They're not managing it, but you're just you know still involved if they need anything. That's right. The client, the client uh, management over that. Assuming you do a ten-year lease, the average lease is about ten years, so you can see five-year leases or potentially fifteen-year leases, depending on the size of the organization and the amount of capital that they have to invest so that they can protect the investment and have an amortization period varies, varies by size and stability of that, that entity. So if they, if they have some good range around how many employees they're going to have over a period of time and they can accommodate that growth rate, they'll do longer term transactions with options to expand or contract and renew in that building so they can, they can house their, their people there for the decade. 
So the real challenge is how to maintain those relationships over that 10-year period uh, to retain the client. And you know that comes with just keeping them apprised of what's happening in the marketplace, having some discussions around their business, a lot of client, or client entertainment. They're still very active in our space. So, yeah. So, okay. So that makes sense. So like, what would you say your average deal is like total, like, like what's it cost to rent uh, for your average client uh, space in New York city? So in, in, in the private equity hedge fund uh, world, they, they typically, not all of them, but they typically, some of the more seasoned ones um, have an appetite for some larger, higher, higher priced uh, rent because they're looking to take some of the nicer buildings in space overlooking Central Park, uh, having a Park Avenue address, a Fifth Avenue address. And today the cost of new construction is has been much higher than, than it has been. Um, so so the rents could the rents could the average rent could be in the close to one hundred dollars per square foot range, which is the highest in the country uh, outside of Silicon Valley that, that can be competitive, but even on a global scale, it's one of the highest uh, rents. So, so um, I have so one hundred dollars a square foot. If I have twelve hundred square feet, which is not a very big spot, you know, twelve hundred square feet is you know a basic office, and you know you're talking a hundred grand a year, right? Right. I would use like a ten thousand square foot, you know, which is 10, the average. So, yeah, the so average floor plate size in New York, a million dollars for twenty to to thirty employees. A million bucks a year to house Correct. twenty to thirty employees. So that ain't bad getting paid, you know, 5%, 4%, 3%, 2%, right? Because you're the fat check. So let's talk about that. So um, what, and, and, and they're from rentals, guys, that's the thing. So, right, not sales even. So, so let's talk a little bit about like why you decided to go into commercial real estate versus residential. You know, most of our audience is residential. You know, can you kind of touch on the differences between the two? Uh, yes, I, I think there's a, a little bit of a business difference. It's, it's less emotional, um, although it can be at times, and, and it's and it's um, it's more of a, a business transaction, not a, a personal transaction. And I spent the first three to four years uh, out of college at Arthur Anderson and uh, as a CPA. So I had a lot of uh, I worked on a lot of real estate transactions um, as a uh, as a as a real estate advisor and consultant to some of the large landlords here in New York City, and on a lot of the acquisitions and understanding the internal rate of returns and how the how debt was used and how limited and general partners were um, involved in these transactions, and I was I always had a a real interest in commercial real estate in New York City, but at in the third in the fourth year, I had a, a real desire to get on to the uh, by you know the the front office sort of side, the sales side of it, and the transaction side uh, versus behind the scenes on the advisory and consulting side uh, after the asset was acquired or during the due diligence phase, and um, I went into the commercial side to represent those tenants, and I think having an understanding on the capital markets, the landlord's position, and a lot of the a lot of the uh, details of having that earlier experience, understanding how commercial real estate works, gave me a little bit of an advantage starting out as a commercial real estate broker in New York City. Uh, even with that advantage, keep in mind that there's about 350 million square feet in New York City. It's by far the largest office 
stock on the planet. Park Avenue alone, which I'm looking outside right now, is, rel- is about 28 to 30 million square feet. And you've got just about 50 buildings, you know, about 10 blocks. That's almost the size of Chicago. So it's wow. a very large market. It's a very large market. We've got about 4,000 brokers. So it's, it's, a, it's, it's a product. It's a market that you really have to understand the product. And that takes a long time for a new broker to come in is to learn which buildings, what the rents are, what the square footages are, who the owners are. There's a tremendous amount of detail and information that's necessary, and it's very hard to get lucky. Tribeofmillionaires.com. Guys, write that down. Rockstar Nation got a free special offer for you. Now, I've just written a book, and it's just been published. Co-authored it with David Osborne, who's been on this show multiple times. If you don't know David, he is one of the top execs at Keller Williams Real Estate, was personally mentored for the last two decades by Gary Keller himself, and he's in all kinds of businesses. His bio and explanation and, and everything is in this book. But anyways, David and I got together. We decided to write a book. We called it Tribe of Millionaires, and I guarantee you it's going to change your life. To find out more, just go to tribeofmillionaires.com. We're going to give it to you absolutely free. Only thing we ask in return is, of course, number one, you pay the shipping. Not a big deal. But number two, that you go on Amazon and write us a review. We're really looking to get an incredible amount of reviews. And because of that, we're giving this book away for free. Go to tribeofmillionaires.com today. So how do you train your 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 newbies uh, to get business? How did you get business when you first started? What's what's the what's the plan like if I'm saying I want to be a commercial broker? What advice? Well, with technology today, uh, things are a little bit different than 20 years ago. You know, we, we didn't if you think about just 20 years ago, there were no Blackberries and, you know, iPhones were <laughs> we, we used the word blackberries. Uh, we were using fax machines. Email was very limited. You would use a station with a computer that you can send emails from, but it was really the old fashioned uh, phone. And in New York, uh, prior to 9 11, we had to literally walk the buildings up and down from the top floor to the first floor and create our own database of who's occupying floors. So as a first generation, you know, Italian here, my parents came from Italy. I, I was in New York City, did not have one single relationship and didn't have any real connections or contacts and built, you know, the majority, if not the entire business in the first five years through classic cold calling, you know, taking a Dale Carnegie class and learning how to uh, get a, the old fashioned sales, you know, rebuttals and getting someone on the phone to ask them for their time. You know, you weren't asking for money, you were asking for time, which could be a much larger currency at the, uh, you know, in different situations, right? So um, today the world has changed dramatically where even us, as we continue to business develop the, the young crowd that's coming in, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's an email canvas. Um, I think there, there's a lot more resistance to get on a phone, uh, the younger crowd. So I think there's, there's a tremendous amount of emailing within information and data that they have at their fingertips, which we also use now, the, the research of knowing. And, and now there's database that we have a proprietary database 
that tells you who's on every floor. And then the deals that are being closed, you've got more intelligence. So it's less of a black market where information is more readily available. And it tells, less, you, it tells you like when their lease is up and everything. That's right. It gives you when their lease is up. It tells you what, uh, what deals have been closed, everything. what they paid, et cetera, et cetera. So it's a little easier than it was in the past where you had to keep your own database. So you could basically call them and be like, hey, your lease is up in a year. I got this other space that I think you'd like. That's exactly right. Mm-hmm. And, and, and what do you do to, to, to specialize in, in the you know, private equity space? I mean, why wouldn't you be a junkyard dog and just you know, rent to everybody and anybody no matter what they were? What, how does it benefit you to specialize in one thing? Well, I think sort of the, it, the, world, you know, the world is sort of consolidating and, and, and being converted into you know, what I would call category killers. I think everybody today, if you just think about doctors and lawyers and, and all types of specialists, you know, if your foot breaks, you want to go to a uh, you know, foot doctor. You're not, the generalization of services is being diluted and watered down. Um, so the value that, that we provide in, in having a depth of a thousand transactions over the decade uh, on the team, understanding the, the user mentality, understanding the profile, the criteria, how the decision making is done, who the, the C-level suites are making the decision, the, the power of the, of the founder, oftentimes one person who's very wealthy and very smart, how they make decisions, how they want to see deals presented to them. Uh, and then more importantly, the product that because we're so active in the call it 50 buildings in New York, the limited amount of high-end buildings, we're very familiar with all the availability, all the trades, all the data, and those landlords. So we, we have a, an edge on market expertise, product expertise, and then also you know just the client management of it. And it's a very small niche circle in New York City with the client base. So the majority of the wealthy finance people know each other, and they all live in the same sort of circle um, their summer homes, they all know each other. So there's a lot of value to the credibility and the references that we get from others uh, and the branding of what we do. So the, it's, it's the specialization has been a real advantage to the clients and a real advantage to us. Yeah, it makes sense. And, and so t- how many deals of the 72 that you did, would you say were in-house versus cooperating with another broker? Well, well, the, the it's very rare that you don't have two brokers on a transaction. So there's always a, a buy side and a sell side. Every, every landlord, the majority of the landlords in the class A space are engaging firms to, to represent them. So most firms have two different groups. One's a tenant representation group and one is a, a landlord group. And some, some brokers dabble in both. The, the, our business is predominantly tenant rep, tenant representation. So, Oftentimes you're negotiating with another broker from another firm or a broker from your firm um, that is representing that owner. If you're renewing in the middle of a renewal discussion and negotiation with, you may, you may have um, the opportunity to have a a direct conversation with the owner on that negotiation where there's only one fee being paid to you, but the fees are not sort of split up there. It's not like residential where I think if you sold, the house yourself or, you know, the, the residential apartment, it's one full fee or they're splitting it with two people. There's sort of a market fee for the buy side and a market fee for the sell side. 
And if you do both, you, you only get one. You don't get both. That's exactly right. So there's not a large incentive to not have another broker. The only savings would be to that landlord. Hmm. Why do you think they do it like that versus the way that they do it in residential? I think they try to keep sort of the independence on, on who's representing who and not, and, not get, uh, and not have a misalignment of interest so that it, it, it keeps the sort of the, the fiduciary uh, with each party that you represent. Right, because then you're not, then, then you're not angling towards uh, doing it in-house because you make more money. You know, that's right. I mean, yeah, I mean that makes a lot of sense, actually. Right? Yeah, it makes more. It, it kind of, they may want to. They may want to change it in the residential side. Well, there's Sorry, a lot. Of, <laughs> well, there's a lot of talk about making. You know, for years, uh, I think the the attitude of the residential agent was commercial agents need to be more like residential agents, right? They, the commercial agents need to get an MLS. Commercial agents need to, you know, co-op more because there are a lot of commercial. Uh, you know, you don't have to cooperate in in the commercial world, but in the residential world, it's pretty much a given that you're going to cooperate with other brokers. And so, uh, so what I've seen lately is that tide is turning a little bit. Now there's a there's a big push for residential agents to be more like commercial agents in the realm of, you know, do we not need an MLS? You know, c- can we can we sell this in house? Can we not split the commission? You know, can we do letters of intent uh, instead of having to write a forty-page contract? What do you think about that? Well, I do. I do think there's still a there's still off-market deals. I mean, I'm in the middle of a bunch of off-market deals now where, you know, it was not listed on the MLS, and I think the just having the intelligence on the landlord and the tenant putting together putting to, together those transactions, you know, may or may not save the landlord and the tenant some fees, but it does create an opportunity for that landlord and a tenant that otherwise may not have existed in a on-market transaction. Hey, real estate rock stars. This is Pat Hyben. And before we jump back into today's content, I want to tell you about an extraordinary offer from an extraordinary company, I'm talking about my Outdesk. If you haven't heard of my Outdesk, basically they are a virtual assistant company, a VA company that specializes in virtual assistants for real estate agents. Yeah, I'm talking about transaction coordinators, marketing assistants. I'm talking about ISAs, inside sales agents that prospect thousands and thousands of seller leads and buyer lead follow-ups. I mean, these guys are trained in this stuff specifically. You're not using a company that doesn't know or understand real estate sales. Four out of five of the top teams in the U.S. use my Outdesk for their virtual assistance. And because I know the owner, Daniel Ramsey, I've known him for over a decade, and I know how awesome and incredible this company is and how it saves agents thousands and thousands of dollars every single week and makes them thousands and thousands of more every single week. We're going to give you a $400 coupon off of your first month of a virtual assistant and give you access and give you a free book entitled Scaling Your Business with Virtual Professionals. So you can like read it and look into it before you decide anything. It's called Scaling Your Business with Virtual Professionals. 
and you can get it real easy. All you got to do is text the word HIBAN, H-I-B-A-N, to 31996. That's H-I-B-A-N to 31996. And download your free book, Scaling Your Business with Virtual Professionals. And don't forget to mention also that you get a $400 discount, which will give you a coupon for that when you download the book. Thank you, guys, and I hope you enjoy and make a ton of money using my Outdesk. And so, uh, just to get to curiosity, and I know you've been at it, uh, you know, if that was, was last year, your last 12 months, was that, you said that was your best year ever, right? Yes. And 72 deals, and would you say, you know, what would you say your, uh, we like to call it ECI, ego commission income, what would you say your GCI was on those 72 deals, like total commissions added up together? Well, you know, it's a team, so there's, a, there's, there's eight to ten people if so on the team. So I think the aggregate commissions is some, you know, is when you kind of look at the deals on the average, I would say that when you think about those deals uh, and you break down each individual deal and the number of deals you lost and the probability of making deals with the execution of how many deals you make and how many deals you need to get going at once to make those types of deals and number of deals. And, the, and if you average it out over a three-year or five-year period, um, it's very hard to take into context that you know, on 72 deals with eight to 10 people, you know, it's, it's north of uh, eight figures, but you got to understand that if you kind of break that all out, a lot of the, a lot of the monies are sort of earned and accrued in different years. It's just when they all close that you're kind of getting the benefit of the revenue in that year. Right. So someone in the, like, like yourself of that, let's say it's 10 million bucks after you pay your agents, pay your expenses, all that net to you, well, what's, what's your profit margin, would you say? Right. So, so c- commercial also works a little bit different where, you know, you kind of look at a lot of the other firms where they, I know I listened to your p- podcast with the Keller Williams or the, the Douglas Elements and all the other firms where they have certain caps and then you go to certain percentages. The splits on commercial and residential are very different as well. Tell me so about the commercial, that. So the commercial, it's, very, it's pretty basic and consistent amongst the brokerage firms. Some have some tweaks to the, to the model, but the majority of the firms start out with sort of a 50-50 split on the model, and you don't pay for a lot of the expenses. So we don't pay for our, our phones, our, our office space, our assistants, or you know, a lot of the departments and a lot of the service lines of marketing and research, et cetera, et cetera. So the company you know, is your partner. So CBRE is your partner. You know, after you make a certain amount of dollars, you get a waterfall hybrid of, of a larger uh, piece. So after a certain amount of dollars that you bring in, the next tranche you go to, you know, 55, 45, or 60, 40. So everybody's got this incentive and waterfalled approach that the more you make, the more you keep. But if you stay within those, if you stay in the, underneath the cap, then you're still at the 50-50 break. So that's a pretty basic model amongst all the brokerage firms. That's interesting that it's um, that it's pretty that you would say that because a guy in the business 20 years in residential, if, if you were in a business in residential real estate for 20 years, you would probably be on your third, maybe fourth company by now. And that's just how residential agents roll. It's very odd, you know, you say, okay, I've been with CBR, or, you know, I've been with Caldwell Banker, Richard Ellis for 20 years. So it seems to me like you don't have a, um, this 
the hyper competitive market where we're seeing now in residential real estate where new companies are popping up, new splits are popping up, new ways to do business, new ways to make money, you know, and, and there's a war going on between brokerages and, and you're not seeing that in a commercial space, huh? That's right, Pat. I, I would say that the, the, that's a very large uh, difference between the residential and the, the commercial side. The, you know, the clients are individuals and the clients on the commercial are companies. So you, ha- you could have one client with one individual family that's purchasing or selling real estate that's very mobile for that residential uh, broker that, that no matter where they hang their shingle and they can do it every single year, that relationship is very personal. While you have still the same individual relationships on the commercial side, you, oftentimes there are anywhere from two to, to five, and depending on the complexity of a transaction, you can have seven to 10 people work on a transaction. And you can also have the chief financials officer, the chief operating officer, the general counsel, the CEO, the CAO, a facilities person. So you can have a half a dozen people on each side of, of the ledger between your client and your firm. So the, the connectivity of the deals, A, they take a long time and there's, um, you know, it's very, it's very hard for brokers to bounce around. And while they do, there's a, there's a massive one to two year, three year potentially uh, curve that has to get you kind of back and running because you got to learn the systems because they don't use a MLS system like the residential. And you really, you can't really be an independent agent because of the demands for a corporate corporation, regardless of what industry you specialize, the, the demands really need the resources. So, you know, I would say in, in the, in the up markets and down markets in the 2000, you know, eight, nine market, we saw a lot of movement in, in firms looking to um, acquire brokers. There's always a, there's always a recruiting period going on, but also the cost to recruit brokers is very expensive because if you pay them on a trailing, you know, two to three year period, it's very expensive for them to recruit. So the talent war is there, but it's not, it's not severe and it's not on an annual basis. If you look at most of the successful brokers in our, in our industry, if you see more than two to potentially three different firms on their resume, it's very rare that they've been successful because they bounce around for that upfront commission check and then their revenue kind of flattens out. So every three years they're bouncing to make that, you know, sort of upfront check to, to join that firm, but they lose clients along the way. So they're always kind of building their business and there's, so there's just more longevity and more and more uh, security for the retention of brokers and it has to be really worth their while to move. So you do see some, some very large uh, brokerage teams or, or brokers go to other firms for other reasons, but there's a, there's a large check associated with it, but it's, it's, it's not so many like signing moves. Bonuses. So they're kind of like stockbrokers or, or, or a sense, you know what I mean? Like if yeah, the wealth managers. Money, and then like uh, my, my guy has a bunch of my money. Uh, he, you know, he was at one company and then another company paid him like some astronomical amount of money to move him and his team over, you know, like a signing bonus, like a crazy signing bonus. And so 
that happens, you're saying, in commercial. And it, it, it never happened in residential till Compass Real Estate came around, which is from New York City. And they started paying, you know, like three to four times company dollar, the company dollar that you would pay to them, meaning on a split for agents to move. And, and so that started happening in the commercial, I mean, in the residential for the first time ever uh, in the last couple of years. Right. Compass is growing rapidly in New York City. I mean, I would say they're in a, in a good way, you know, disrupting the residential business by being a little more uh, commercial savvy. You can see that they're, they're buying large teams of sophisticated and successful brokers and adding them to their technology platform. So, you know, disruptors are kind of short-term pain, long-term gain for an industry. But it's very hard to, there's a balance of that signing bonus and that retention and movement of client. You have to make sure your clients are mobile. You know, if your money wasn't with that wealth manager, that check wouldn't be there. So that, you know, it's a personal relationship. It's not a corporate relationship. Right. Yeah. I mean, he just, he, uh, he's moved twice for signing bonuses over the last 20 years or so. I've been with him and, and you know, I, I didn't even pay attention. He's like, oh yeah, I'm moving your money here. It's going to be a little bit of pain in the ass because you got to sign some more forms or whatever. But, you know, I was like, okay, whatever. And, but, but, you know, I've watched it happen and I've talked to him about it and I know he got some fat checks for it. Um, but I didn't care because it was still him, you know? Yes. So I guess the same thing and commercial, you know, and I guess the same thing happens with commercial. I, I mean, you know, I've rented space several times and I've used the same guy each time. So it kind of makes sense. And he's, you know, in touch throughout the year on, um, you know, how's the lease going? Da, 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 da. So I can see how you're probably more in touch than you would be if you just sold a house and then just, you know, went on to the next deal. You're very active and you try to get all your clients together. You know, I'm hosting, you know, I host golf events. You're taking them to the Knicks games. You're going to Yankee games. You're hosting dinners. There's just a, it's, it really truly becomes a friendship. But because there's, if you think about over a 20 year period, you maybe you get, if you had a client for 20 years, you, maybe you get two deals to four deals at best, unless you have someone who has a multi, unless you're, you have a multi, a multi portfolio around the country where you're doing deals in, in other markets, which is also something that we're doing, you know, multiple, multiple markets in, in, in different cities. And then on the private equity business, they own companies in the portfolio business. We're really able to utilize the, you know, having the largest firm in the world, almost 90,000 people with every major service line, we're able to, to really handle and add value to the real estate as it relates to that investment they're making on that portfolio company that could effectuate a larger sales price if it increases their EBITDA. Um, so you can, you can be creative in the real estate of existing clients that you're doing their leasing for in New York or other markets by helping them on their investments as well. Hmm. Yeah. Well, interesting. Yeah, it makes sense. Makes a lot of sense. Well, Silvio, this is fascinating. I love uh, talking to people in different lines of real estate and different areas. And uh, you did a great job of, of explaining a little bit about your world and, and how it differs and, and how it is. And I appreciate you coming on doing that. So I'm going to make this real easy, guys. I'm not going to have you spell out his last name. I'm going to just put it on hybendigital.com backslash Silvio, S-I-L-V-I-O, hybendigital.com backslash Silvio, S-I-L, 
V-I-O. Um, Sylvia, this has been a blast. Listen, next time I'm in New York City, I will definitely look you up and we can get together and break some bread. That'd be a lot of fun, Pat. I appreciate having me on. As a member of the Rockstar Nation, you may have noticed that every guest that comes on the show now is required to bring with them a free tool, an item of utility that real estate agents can use to drastically increase their sales and profits. Some of the things that have been brought have been ebooks, forms, reports, negotiating techniques, hiring guides, postcards, checklists open house secrets, newsletters that are sent out, sphere of influence forms, referral request forms, and the list goes on and on. If you would like to get this free toolbox full of items of utility, simply go to hybendigital.com backslash toolbox. That's hybendigital.com backslash toolbox or simply text toolbox to 444-999. That's toolbox to 444-999. Rockstar Nation, thank you for listening to Real Estate Rockstars. Listen, I need a favor. If you find this free content helpful, if you find our downloadable items from each guest helpful, please, I need you to pull out your pointing finger. Yes, the one finger that points at people and hit subscribe. Yes, subscribe. The more subscribers we get, the better we look in the ratings and the easier it is to get guests like Robert Kiyosaki, Barbara Corcoran, all the players that are on a million dollar listing in the different cities. All that stuff makes it easier the more subscribers we get. So please subscribe. And listen, there's a lot of places you can leave comments. There's a lot of places you can like. We're on Facebook. We have an Instagram page. Instagram page is I am Pat Hyben. The Facebook is Real Estate Rockstars Radio. Feel free to leave us comments there. The most popular form of commenting seems to happen on YouTube. Yes, for whatever reason, it's a very open environment. So just go to YouTube and go to Real Estate Rockstars Radio and leave us comments there. Some of them we will read on the show. And we love your feedback. So thanks, guys. And I hope you are having a great day. Oh, and also, listen, if you're going to subscribe and you haven't already left us a, a review on iTunes, please do that too. Have a great day and thanks so much, Rockstar Nation. I really appreciate you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.